Blog Talk Radio. Radio. I also host Constitution Radio with Douglas B. Gibbs on KCAAAM 1050 on Saturdays, and soon I will begin hosting Const- uh, Conservative Voice Radio on KMET 1490 AM. It's good to have you. This is a study. This is a study program. This is the original, you know, the the, the program I do on KCAAAM 1050 in San Bernardino. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, follows. Um, followed five and a half years on Blog Talk Radio. I used to have my political pistachio radio program. And as this show uh, grew, well, it just seemed reasonable that I take the next step. I went to uh, AM Radio three and a half years ago, August 6, 2011, launched that show. And then I, what I did is I decided, you know, my Blog Talk Radio roots are important to me. I'm going to hang on to them. And I'm going to keep that show around, but it's going to be different. It's going to change into a, a a shorter show, but something that's there to teach, and that's what we do here. So Constitution Study Radio every week, or usually every week, every once in a while uh, things come up, but for the most part. And we just finished going through the Constitution last week, final amendments. See, this is the nice thing about Blog Talk Radio. You can go back. I've gone through the Constitution a couple of times now. You can go back and listen to any of those episodes. You can also listen to episodes about the 25 myths, uh, but we're getting ready to do the 25 myths again. There are 25 myths that I uh, wrote about in my book, 25 Myths of the United States Constitution. Today's episode is based on Chapter 1 of that book, and we're going to talk about the myths. Well, the, here's the nice thing. You, know, you get the book, you read the book, you'll learn from the book, but when you listen to this, you also get my added commentary. However, it's going to take you 25 weeks to go through everything. Um, but if you but if you buy the book you can you know then read it at your leisure. That said, let's begin. One of the early lessons we learned in school about the Constitution is that the United States government has three branches of government, and the three separate branches act as a check against each other. For the purpose of serving as checks and balances against each other, we are told the branches of government are three co equal branches, meaning that they are each that they each are equal to each other in scope and power. How many of you guys learned that in school? I bet you all of you, or most of you, if they were teaching the Constitution to you. You either learned that in school or you didn't hear about a Constitution. The problem with that, uh, what we've been taught, however, is that it is not exactly true. The Founding Fathers did not intend for the three branches of the federal government to be co-equal. Yeah, how many times have you heard your favorite, you know, political junkie on TV or the radios talk about the three co-equal branches? I know uh, Hannity does it all the time. It drives me up the wall. I want to climb the walls when he does that. Uh, we must ask ourselves, what does co-equal mean? Each branch of government has specific authorities, and while some are c- concurrent, generally the separation of powers is pretty specific. To establish who has what powers, the first thing we should look at is Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution. Article 1, Section 1 reads, All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. 
In order to fully understand this clause, we must pay close attention to the language used and the context of the time period. The first word of the legislative powers clause is all. In the simplest terms, the word all means all. The meaning was same, the same then as it is now. Legislative powers refers to the authority to make law, modify law, repeal law, and reinstate law at the federal level. Herein means herein. The next question then should be here in what? The answer is here in this Constitution. Granted is a term that is being used here to, and once again we're in Article 1, Section 1, so if you have a Constitution, open it up. That's what, what we're discussing right now. Granted is a term that is being used here to describe the act of transferring powers from one group to another. Specifically, the states held all of the powers up to the po this point in history. After events like Shays' Rebellion, the new country realized that their confederation of states that consisted under the Articles of Confederation was too weak to deal with attacks against the Union. In Shays' Rebellion, the weak confederate government was unable to fund an army to put down the insurrection, and it took the merchants in Boston to stop the protesting by American, by using American Revolution veterans. Not only was the government too weak to protect the Union, but it depended upon the fat cats, as some politicians would call them, of the industrial cities to accomplish the action. Therefore, it was apparent that a stronger government than what already existed was needed. This alone should clarify the part of the preamble that states in order to form a more perfect union. So, in order to allow the new federal government to have the powers necessary to protect, preserve, and promote the union, the states transferred or granted some of their powers to the new government. In short, granted means that the states illegally transferred some of their own authorities to the new federal government so that it may properly function as designed. Vested means that these transferred powers shall be given to the Congress. The recipient of all these legislative powers is the Congress of the United States. Remember, separation of powers. Article 1 uh, grants uh, legislative powers to the Congress. Article 2 grants the executive powers to the executive. Article 3 grants judicial powers to the judiciary. The main strength of the federal government is its ability to make law, modify law, and repeal law, and all of those powers were given to the Congress, not the executive branch and not the judicial branch. Since all of the legislative powers were granted to Congress, this means that any time the president modifies law with an executive order or judges legislate from the bench, they are acting unconstitutionally. Legislative powers belong to the legislative branch and the legislative branch only. Score one point for the legislative branch. One will notice that our government is set up in such a way that the president can't do much without the okay of the Senate or both houses. The few sole powers of the president are still subject to the approval of Congress. Treaties require Senate ratification and appointments of justices and other officers require Senate approval as well. The power to make war can be stopped easily by the House of Representatives because the House has the power of the purse strings, Article 1, Section 7, Clause 1. In other words, all they have to do if they disagree with a military action by the President is simply defund the, po the operation. 
the president may be able to launch a war, but if Congress doesn't like it, they can defund it. Score another few points for the legislative branch. When a bill moves through Congress, if the president does not like the bill, he can veto it. Congress, however, with a two-third vote, can override that veto and make the bill a law anyway. The president cannot override Congress, but Congress can override the president. Score yet another point for the legislative branch. The House of Representatives also has the power to impeach the president and judges. The Senate holds the hearings. Score again for the legislative branch. After all of that, it becomes clear that the real power lies in the Congress. Congress is a stronger branch of government than both the executive branch and the judicial branch. So if the legislative branch is stronger, how can the three branches be co-equal? In accordance with literary standards during that time period, the Constitution is written in a manner consistent with the tendencies of the Founding Fathers to place things in order of importance or in order of strength. Like a to-do list, the most important things are at the top of the list, and then the remaining items are listed in order of importance. Article 1 establishes the legislative branch. Article 2 establishes the executive branch, and Article 3 establishes the judicial branch. The strongest of the three branches is the legislative branch, as we have demonstrated. Therefore, it is listed first. The legislative branch is followed by the executive branch on the pages of the Constitution. The executive branch is established by Article 2. Article 3, the third and final article, establishes a branch of government in the Constitution, uh, establishes the judicial branch. Let me repeat that because I <clears throat> missed a word there. Article 3, the third and final article, establishing a branch of government in the Constitution, establishes the judicial branch, which makes the federal judiciary the weakest of the three branches. In fact, reading Madison's notes on the Constitutional Convention, you learn that the fear of a judicial oligarchy was so great among the founding fathers that they actually considered not even having a judicial branch. The fears were that the judges would become what they were in Britain, a powerful group of men, a judicial oligarchy, whose nearly unlimited power led to a situation the founders called the rule of man. For the founding fathers, this nation needed to follow the rule of law, and the law of the land is the Constitution, which is heavily influenced by natural law, or God's law, as per John Locke. In the end, what we realize is that we don't have three co-equal branches of government, or at least we are not supposed to. The original intent of the Founding Fathers was for the real power to belong to we the people, the House of Representatives, and the states, Senate. The people, the House, checked the states, the Senate, and together they checked the executive and the judiciary. The real power lies in Congress. The representatives of the people... for. The, the representatives of the people. For this reason, despite what you have been taught, we are not supposed to have three co-equal branches of government. The existence of three co-equal branches of government is a myth. And that concludes myth number one. Now we're going to go through 25 myths. Once again, you can study the 25 myths of the United States Constitution by reading my book, 25 myths of the United States Constitution. It is available on Amazon and CreateSpace. You can go to politicalpistachio.com.
Facebook.com, and the link for both of my books uh, is there. And also, my third book is due to go on sale tomorrow, Monday, January 19th, 2015, and it is called Silent Screams, Abortion in a Virtuous Society. It's a shorter book, a little less expensive, but packed with a lot of information. Definitely check that out, too. And we'll see you next week right here on Constitution Study Radio. My name is Douglas B. Gibbs, douglasbgibbs.com, politicalpistachio.com. And remember, my friends, united we stand, combined we kick butt. God bless America, and God bless you. Thank you for listening.